Welcome to the Learning Capacity Podcast. You're with Colin Klupik. In this interview with speech-language pathologist Devon Barnes, we talk about auditory processing disorder, and mainly what it actually is, and what's hearing acuity all about, and what are the causes of auditory processing disorder. So Devon, we're talking about auditory processing disorder. I'm thinking about a classroom. You've got lots of students. You think there's lots of brains in there listening. Is listening or uh, different to hearing and processing? How, how does that work? Well, hearing is really, we think about hearing acuity, the very softest sound you can hear across a range of frequencies. And hearing basically takes place in the ear, within the cochlea. Right, so processing is something more than just hearing. Absolutely. Processing is then what happens to that signal when it leaves the ear and has to travel through the auditory pathway within the brain to the auditory cortex where the final processing takes place. So auditory processing is really what the brain does with what it hears. So is it likely that you might have a whole bunch of students who look like they're listening, but there's just nothing actually going through that auditory cortex? There's something going on, but the processing may not be happening effectively. And there are different aspects of of processing that can be problematic in different students. Right. So it sounds like the brain's actually really working quite hard to process what it hears. Can you expand on that? Yes. Well, the brain does have to work very hard, and particularly in a classroom. And one of the major difficulties with children with auditory processing disorder and if I can just give a definition of auditory processing disorder, would be thought of as when something goes wrong with what the brain does, with what it hears. And there are various aspects to that. One of the most common difficulties for students with auditory processing disorder is hearing in a noisy environment, just like in a classroom. Yeah, well, there's plenty of that going on, I can assure you. So... From experience, having been in a classroom, sometimes, you know, it's the classic thing, I wonder if I can hear myself think. So someone who actually has the disorder, they might actually be experiencing quite a lot of stress, I would imagine. Absolutely. And you'll often hear parents say that these students are exhausted at the end of a school day because it's taking all of their energy to listen They have to work so hard to listen, to keep listening to what the teacher's saying. So the the art of actually listening then becomes not only difficult and frustrating, but then something that, almost like a skill that 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 poor student has to work on, perhaps harder than somebody else. Very much so. And also working harder at it really doesn't help them very much because there are glitches in the brain that is preventing them from processing accurately. So it's like when a teacher says to a student, just um, work harder, if the mechanisms aren't there for something to be processed, telling them to work harder doesn't help. So we're going to cover this. Uh, my next question a little bit more in, in further videos, but I'm assuming then that uh, someone who has auditory processing disorder might actually be identifiable in a classroom perhaps by their behaviour or the, the, their facial expressions They might look a bit stressed out? Very Yes, that could be a factor. One of the most common um, issues would be when they seem to be not paying attention or where they lose attention after a time. Auditory processing disorder can often be confused with an attention deficit. But when we look at our 
students with auditory processing, we find that they only have a problem maintaining attention when it's a listening situation. It's like the brain gets overloaded with auditory information. Right, okay. So what you're suggesting is that something that we could be looking at as purely a behavioural problem is actually a lot deeper than that. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. And so are we talking about the fact that maybe some of these things could be misdiagnosed? Like a kid could say, look, I've got ADD or, you know, they're taking pills. Whereas actually, if you think about it a little bit more deeply, I mean, I'm assuming that uh, uh, clinicians or doctors or whoever would have done their proper analysis. But is it possible that these things can be misdiagnosed? Absolutely, it can be misdiagnosed. And it's only when you've got a very uh, informed uh, person doing the assessment who's very aware of auditory processing disorder that you're able to make those fine distinctions whether it is auditory processing or an attention difficulty. That being said though there are students who have both conditions and that's not uncommon as well. Right okay so um, I'm just wondering just for the sake of a bit of a graphic here um, does the auditory processing happen in a particular part of your head can can you point to it like is it in the front or the back or where's, where's it happening? Basically, when the, the signal leaves the ear, the peripheral hearing system, the cochlea, from there it has the signal has to travel along the auditory nerve through a pathway through the brain, through the brain stem and up into the auditory cortex, which is basically in your left temporal lobe. So that is where language and speech sounds are processed. Right. So things can go wrong anywhere along that pathway. Wow, so it's quite a complex path. There could, there's, the way I'm hearing it is that there could be many places where there could be a dysfunction or a disorder which could perhaps compound the problem. That's right. The uh, research into this really began with looking at adults who had um, a brain injury, either through stroke or a tumour or a head injury, where they lost a function, an auditory processing right. function. So they could look at that part of the brain and they could look at the function that was lost and say, well, that part of the brain is responsible for that function. Wow. But over time, we've taken those same tests that came out of adult research to say, well, in a child... They don't have an injury to the brain, but parts of those brain pathways are not developed or not functioning as they should to be able to process effectively. So, Devon, auditory processing and hearing acuity, they sound like big words. What's the mystery? Hearing acuity refers to the very softest sound we can hear across a range of frequencies. The human ear can hear up to about 8,000 hertz, which is how we measure frequency or cycles per second in yeah. the old language. So when we have our hearing tested, we're looking at that range of sounds, the very softest sound we can hear across those range of frequencies. So we look at loudness versus softness and low versus high frequency and Hearing acuity happens just within the ear, particularly right. in the cochlea. Okay. So when we think about dogs being able to hear very high sounds, they can hear much higher than 8,000 hertz? They, they can, I believe. Right. So that's why when we listen to their whistles, we can't hear anything. That's right. 
So how does hearing acuity then link in with auditory processing and our ability to learn? To start off with, we will not learn language if we, don't, if we can't hear. Hearing is fundamental to learning language. And many things can impact on a child's uh, development of their auditory processing if their hearing is interrupted in those early years. So if, if there's a, a gap in the hearing or if, if a hearing problem isn't diagnosed early, then the, comp, the, the problem is compounded. Exactly. When we know in children their ear structures are very small, so they're very prone to ear infection or glue ear, which is an accumulation of fluid in the middle ear, which prevents the sound signal getting through to the inner ear. In a classroom situation, getting back to what we said before, if you've got a really noisy classroom, someone who's got a hearing acuity problem is, is going to be struggling big time, right? Absolutely. Uh, yes, so we really, and we need to distinguish between hearing acuity and auditory processing. But hearing acuity is the very first thing we need to look at because we need to know how well the child hears before we can assess how they process what they're hearing. And obviously, if you have a hearing loss, that will affect your processing. Yeah, so if you've got a student who is uh, looking like they're perhaps not getting the message or something like that, is it worthwhile perhaps having a chat to someone saying, look, maybe this person just needs to have the hearing test? The very first thing you would do would make sure that they have a hearing test and check out that there's no uh, structural or uh, issue with, the, with their hearing acuity. Right, because there is a direct link between hearing acuity and the ability to learn. Absolutely. In a, in a classroom, you know, if you're not hearing properly, you won't learn. But also there are that whole group of children that we're talking about who have fine hearing acuity but don't process effectively. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So if one of the two isn't working, that's enough to cause a problem? Yes. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. It sounds pretty obvious, I yes. guess. But So let's take it to the next level then. What if, what if uh, someone actually has both of those problems? Is, is this a disaster or can we treat it? Oh, it's all very treatable. If there is a hearing, a hearing loss, first of all, we'd want to know what's causing that. We have two kinds of hearing loss. One we call a conductive loss, where there's a blockage with the sound going through at the level of the either the ear canal or the middle ear. Okay. The ear basically has three parts. The ear canal is the thing you shouldn't stick anything sharper in. That's the bit on the elbow. outside, right? That's it, the, the canal where the, the sound goes. And then we come to the eardrum and then beyond the eardrum is what we call the middle ear, which is basically an air-filled cavity which has a connection through the back of the throat called the eustachian tube. And the job of the eustachian tube is to keep the air pressure equal on the eardrum. Now, in many children, particularly small children, it's the middle ear that can fill up with fluid or when they develop an ear infection, mm. the middle ear becomes full of junk, you could say, or muck. And so what happens is sound travels through the air. Sound is just vibration. So the job of the eardrum and the little bones in the middle ear, the ossicles, they vibrate and they transfer that vibration to the inner ear. 
The inner ear is where we have the organ of hearing, the cochlea. So if there's any disruption to either the ear canal, and that can be just a build-up of wax in the ear canal, which can cause hearing loss, or something going wrong in the middle ear with the build-up of fluid or an ear infection, that sound vibration can't effectively be delivered to the inner ear where we actually hear. So a conductive hearing loss refers to something going wrong in either the ear canal or the middle ear. Some children then can have a problem with the actual organ of hearing itself, the cochlea. Yes. We refer to that as a sensory neural loss. Okay. They can't be treated. Well, unless today, if it's a profound loss, they might get a cochlear implant. So that's the wonderful thing today with, with technology. Conductive hearing problems are very easily treated. So if it's a chronic middle ear problem with fluid buildup, we you might have heard of grommets. So mm, they insert yes. a little little tube, a bit like a mini cotton reel. Like they cut uh, a hole in the drum, so, that's so right. To speak. They make a little hole in the drum, put a little drainage tube in, and that drains the fluid from from yep. the, from the middle ear. That's very easily treated. So it sounds to me like there's a bit of a, if you like, putting it into computer terms. There's a hardware and software issue here. So you can have a hardware problem and a software problem. So there can be, as you said, a neural issue happening. And that's the processing part. And then there's the physical bit, which is the acuity Well, part. even the neural bit really can, even before we get to do that processing, if there's a problem in the cochlea, that's going to affect your hearing acuity. So, Devon, causes of auditory processing disorder, I have to ask, can you be born with this thing? Can you inherit it? Yes, you can. So, basically, what you inherit is just some faulty wiring with through your genes, even though you're born with it, we're suggesting that that can then be treated if it's discovered? Yes, very much so. So my question now is, like, if you're a teacher and you've got a classroom with a whole bunch of kids that you think, you know, you often hear the, the teachers say, oh, that class that I've got, they're, they're wild, that, that bunch of kids. We're suggesting that a whole bunch of students might actually have auditory processing disorder. Do we have any numbers on how many people do actually have it? That's an, I'm glad you've asked that question, Colin, because I've actually done... Uh, a big search just recently into the literature and I haven't been able to find any current statistics on on incidents. There could be some research happening right now, but at this point in time we don't have an accurate percentage of the incidents in a classroom. But I would think in every classroom there's going to be at least one or two or even up to four or five children that could have some aspects of auditory processing disorder. So it sounds to me then that um, educators could actually have even more of a role than just educating in that through their suspicion or through their observation of students and as an interesting point, observation of students is, uh, is actually a legitimate form of assessment, would you believe, in terms of academic assessment. Uh, it's possible then, I guess, that teachers could ha- play a role in, in helping science to perhaps bring these things uh, bring them up or to make people aware of the fact that there are problems? Yes. No, you know, the teacher is really the person at the coalface that's going to be observing these children. If you get an an observant teacher who's aware of what that behaviour might mean, a behaviour they're seeing in a child and what that might mean. Well, from my experience in the classroom, I... I have to be honest and say that I've often felt a little bit uncomfortable about perhaps suggesting that, that someone might have a hearing problem. Is that something that a teacher should feel uncomfortable about or can we be open about it? Oh, be open about it, you know, because I think 
uh, an aware, informed teacher is obviously going to um, be a great benefit to a, to a classroom of students. Some of the things that a teacher might observe in a child who could have a processing difficulty would be things like children who don't aren't able to remember the instructions. So halfway through the instruction, they've forgotten what the teacher says. They might remember the very last bit, but not the first bit. So when the teacher says to the students, get out your maths book, go to chapter three, go to question seven, and do A, B and C, your child with auditory processing will get B and C, but they won't have remembered the rest of it. And so they're looking at their mate to see, what did she say? What have I got to do? So they're just That's hearing funny. They're hearing bits and pieces. Yes, they're not hearing all of it. Or it's your student who, after if there's a lot of talking being done in the classroom, they'll seem to just drift off because, again, their brain's overloaded and they can't take, any more, um, take in any more information because the brain's gone on auditory overload. Or those students who have a lot more difficulty when there's background noise. They don't do too badly if the classroom's quiet and there's just one person speaking. But if there's any amount of background noise, it can be a fan or traffic outside or air conditioning, they'll have a lot more difficulty processing the information. One of the big groups of children with auditory processing are those that have difficulty with literacy, aspects of literacy, mm. particularly decoding and spelling, because they're having a difficulty with auditory discrimination. Right. They well, if, if you're sorry to interrupt you there, but if you're suggesting that sp- bad spelling is an indicator, then I have to say that all of my students have got auditory processing disorder. Well, I think bad spelling, I hate to say this, but I think some of that reflection is the way spelling is actually taught oh, in no. classrooms these <laughs> days. But for some students, their spelling issues are to do with the fact that they aren't able to analyse sounds within words, which is a skill you need to be a good speller. Mm. They can't hear the difference between a p and a b. Or when there's a three consonants together in a word like splash, they maybe hear the s and the ul, but they don't virtually don't hear that p sound in there. So they have difficulty with that auditory analysis right. because of difficulties with, with processing speech sounds. Sounds like there could be a little bit of a crossover with that and, and dyslexia. Is, am I hearing that yes, correctly? Yes, and in some aspects of some types of auditory processing disorder, there's a big correlation with dyslexia. Now, I'm not suggesting that auditory processing is a cause of dyslexia or that all children with a dyslexia have auditory processing. But it certainly is the case that children with certain aspects of auditory processing disorder do have more difficulty with acquiring competent literacy skills. So let's just say, for example, and we might finish off with this one, let's just say that I was born a perfectly healthy baby and I had a reasonably normal upbringing, say, to the age of five, is it possible for me to develop auditory processing disorder as I get older? Not really. You could have a processing disorder that up until five doesn't cause you any difficulty. But when you get on through school and as the language of the classroom becomes more complex and you're required to do more sophisticated things with your listening and processing that your processing disorder becomes more apparent as you go through school. Okay, so that's a critical distinction there, isn't it? 
So something that could be seen as being perfectly normal for the first five years where a parent of a young child could say, oh, that's just my, that's just my kid, they might actually be overlooking something which could be the beginning of something quite serious. Exactly, and this does happen, wow. particularly when we're thinking of um, language-based and every subject has language-based, but for some students, when language becomes more complex and less literal... Subtle aspects of auditory processing, as in not understanding sarcasm, because you're not able to make those fine distinctions between tone of voice. Mm. So I might not understand that something was a statement rather than a question. Mm. Or I can use the same words to be complimentary or insulting. And if I have a problem with processing those subtle tonal differences in speech, I can misinterpret what's being said to me. The podcast brought to you by LearnFast Australia.